Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, something we have to make these distinctions is the difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. If you've listened to our study thus far, you, you get it. You understand it. If you're listening for the first time, listen to our study through 1 Corinthians and get yourself caught up to where we are. That's one distinction. The next distinction is to understand the difference between the worker and the field. Okay, the worker and the field. Because the worker are Paul, the worker the workers are Paul, his entourage, those who are with him, those in ministry. The field is the church. The field that's the saints. You see? But the workers, you know, both comprise together the church, koinonia, the ecclesia. But you have to make these distinctions between the worker and the field because it will help you in your walk with the Lord. Because sometimes what you see today, people, you know, they're carnal, they're baby Christians. Maybe they've been a Christian for a week. Maybe they've been, a, you know, and that's not a bad thing. If you've been a Christian for a week and you're a baby Christian, praise be to the Lord. It's beautiful. You need to grow. But it's beautiful still. Now, if you're a baby Christian and you've been a Christian for 10 years, that's not good. That's not good. You need to grow up. You need to mature. You need to repent. And you also need to grow up and mature. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians. And you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. But when you make these distinctions, you'll understand it will help you. Because when you make these distinctions, a lot of times what happens, for example, you'll have a carnal Christian. Carnal Christian who's been strung up on drugs, the sex, the alcohol, been strung up on these, on these things. And then all of a sudden we'll say, oh, you know what? Uh, uh, you know, I, I used to be an alcoholic and I don't get drunk like crazy anymore, but I'll get drunk every now and then. Number one, that's carnality. Number two, when such a person reads the Bible and sees, oh, I am crucified with Christ and he or she tries to apply it in their life, there's a disconnect. Such a person to say, oh, I am crucified with Christ, hit the brakes. There's no crucifixion there, brother. There's no crucifixion there, sister. You know why? Because you haven't reckoned the old man dead. You haven't reckoned the old woman dead. How can you say you're crucified with Christ when the old is still alive and well? By your own fruit, you're not even new wineskin. You have to put away those things and become new wineskin. You see? You have to be new wineskin. Reckon the old man dead, you carry your cross. Reckon the old woman dead, you carry your cross. Because a lot of times, Satan, he finds these footholds in the lives of Christians. Just like that. Where there's a disconnect. Like, oh, I'm carnal. I'm a baby Christian. I'm carnal. But yet, I'm crucified with Christ. And so Satan sees that as a huge opportunity to create a bigger wedge, a bigger gap between a soul and Christ. You see? And then it gets worse and worse and worse. You see? And you have to make these distinctions between the worker and the field. The field, those are the saints. Those are like that, that carnal Christian I was talking about. That's the field. The workers are like Paul, those in his entourage, Paul, Phoebe, Timothy, Titus. These are the workers. And those workers the Lord employs 
to help the carnal Christians, just like we saw in 1 Corinthians. Now, that form of help, in the case of Paul, that form of help was pretty hardcore. You know, this is leaven. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is leaven. Separate from the leaven. Your rejoicing isn't good. And so you, my friend, you, my brother, you, my sister, we, we have to make these distinctions. We must make these distinctions because it will help you in your walk with the Lord. Worker and field. If you're in the field, praise be to the Lord. If you're a worker, praise be to the Lord. There's a higher accountability for the worker. You know, I don't mean to scare you, but that concept is scary in itself. Don't play games. You say, oh, I'm a worker, I'm a worker, but I like to get drunk. Okay, you're in trouble. Oh, I'm a worker, I'm a worker, but I'm a sex head. Okay, you're in trouble. Don't forget the Bema seat. You're in trouble. Oh, I'm a worker, I'm a worker. You know, but I, I also have, you know, girlfriend number five on the side. Okay, you're in trouble. I'm a worker, I'm a worker, but I like to, you know, teach about grave soaking. I like to teach false doctrine. Okay, you're in trouble. You see, let not many be teachers because we are held to a stricter account. A lot of times people say, oh, I want to be a worker because they like the accolades. They like the acknowledgement of men. What about the acknowledgement of the Lord? You see, what about the power of the Lord? This is what Paul says in verse one. He says, this speaking about the workers, we then, that's Paul, that's the worker, not just Paul, Paul and those who are with him, the next generation, not just of righteousness, the next generation of ministry leaders, ministry leaders and pastoral ministry, elder ministry, always male, always male. Aside from that, there can be females, but elders, pastors, male headship, Old Testament, New Testament, male headship. We then, these are the workers, as workers, as workers, very important. These are the workers, as workers together with him, together with Christ. Also plead with you, that's the field. Also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Remember our study through Romans 6? Does that mean that we should sin more so that grace can abound? No way, don't do that. That is not good. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. Is it possible to receive the grace of God in vain? Absolutely. Absolutely. Should we do it? Absolutely not. <laughs> For he says in verse 2, he's quoting Isaiah the prophet, the same spirit, the same spirit that uh, uh, inspired Isaiah is the same spirit that's in inspiring Paul, the same spirit that inspires Ezekiel and Peter and Jude and, and, and John and Matthew, the same spirit. Joel, uh, 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 Zechariah, Zephaniah, the same spirit. And you see no differentiation between the writings of the same spirit, the vessels that the Lord uses. You see no difference. Where you do see a difference, when people proclaim to be vessels and they say, oh yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh yeah, I'm an elder. I'm a prophet. And they say, oh, by the way, let's go grave soaking. No way. 
No way. The association with death, that's uncleanness. And you're telling me it's the Lord that wants you to do that, that wants to take his flock to the grave, to go grave soak the Holy Spirit? Number one, the Holy Spirit isn't dead. The Holy Spirit isn't in graves. Number two, the Lord would never do that. Number three, by what spirit does such a person do this? It's not of the Lord. You see, when you make these distinctions as a Berean, it will help you. It will help you not just mature in Christ, but it will help you in your walk to identify the threats. Those are false teachers. Those are false teachers. Oh, let's go grave soaking. Go ahead, take the mark of the beast. No big deal. You'll still be saved. False teachers. They're prophesied. Every jot, every tittle must come to pass and it will come to pass. And a lot of people now, they're saying, you know, unity, unity at all costs. People write books. They, you know, crazy people write their books about crazy love. Now they write their books about crazy unity. Unity, unity, unity at all costs. But what do I say? Unity unto what? And unity into what? It must be sound doctrine. Old Testament, New Testament, it must be sound doctrine. Now you have major global religious leaders, some from Rome. <laughs> and they're saying things about uh, uh, the, the, the divisive preachers online, divisive preachers. You see? No. Remember, Jesus came to divide. Jesus came to divide. Those are her, his words, not mine. Those are his words. Look, turn with me really quick to Luke chapter 12. I always read it, but I'll read it again. In Luke chapter 12, verse 51, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? The Prince of Peace is saying this. The Prince of Peace is saying, do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. He came to divide. He came to give peace. The Prince of Peace came to give peace, but it's peace in our hearts. Peace in our hearts. The peace that he gives globally, number one, it came in our hearts first. The second time, it's coming again, but after judgment. The Prince of Peace will establish peace and the governments will be placed on his shoulders in accordance with the prophet Isaiah. But a lot of things have to happen before. One of those things is the division that he speaks about here in verse 51 of Luke 12. Do you suppose I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. And so this division, we see it in the church in Corinth. We see it. In, I mean, the, the division that the Lord speaks of in, in going back to chapter 12, verse uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 52, he says, for from now on five in one house. He's, he's, he's speaking about in a family. He's speaking about the same household. Five in one house will be divided three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Those are what he's speaking about. 
But we have an example of this division also in the church. Look at the church of Corinth. The Corinthian church. What caused the division? Carnality. Baby Christians. Baby Christians, the works of the flesh. Listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. And you'll understand. Division happens. You say, what caused the division? Number one, carnality. Not maturing in Christ. What else causes the, the, the division? Defunct pastors, defunct elders. You see? But here in verse 2, Paul quotes Isaiah the prophet under the same spirit. The same spirit that told Isaiah, hey, Isaiah, write this down. The same spirit tells Paul to say, hey, Paul, write this down. The same spirit instructs Peter. Instructs Jude, instructs John, instructs uh, uh, Ezekiel. He says this in verse 2, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. You see, God is active. God is very active. Oh, but I'm not going to believe God until I see a sign and unless I see a sign. Well, don't forget, it's a wicked and perverse generation which seeks after a sign. You see, blessed are those who believe and have not seen because it's faith. I've spoken to Mormons before. And the Mormons, you know, the, you know, when they come knocking on the door, there's usually two. They come in packs of two, sometimes three. But there's usually like an unlearned one. And then there's a learned one, so-called learned one. When they come to the door, you know, they come to the door and it's, it's usually the unlearned one which speaks first because the so-called learned one wants the, the young one to get his feet wet, you know. And so the young one, <clears throat> they'll start speaking and the first, the first thing they say, it's okay, I, you identify, okay, this is probably the young one. You know what I like to do? I like to go for the old one. Oh, that's nice, that's nice. And then I look at the, the more mature one. And begin a conversation. And the whole time, I, I know, you know, I, I pray for the soul of the mature one. But what I really want is the young one. <laughs> for that young one to see, wow, this, this so-called mature guy that I've been following. He's being exposed as a fool, being exposed as stupid. You see? To win souls. That's my objective, to win souls. You see the, the J-dubs come knocking and they, do, they follow the same model. It's usually the young ones that start talking first. And you'll see the more mature ones, according to that doctrine, you'll see the more mature ones, they're kind of like on the sidelines, kind of like monitoring. That's the model that they use. And you can, you can use that too. When they come, maybe you're at the store and somebody comes, they usually come in packs of two, sometimes more. You see? And they say, oh, you know, I'm not going to, and I've spoken to these mature, I'm doing my air quotes here, but the mature Mormons before, they say, oh, I, I prayed, God reveal yourself to me. And I heard a voice audibly, they say. And the voice said this, you know, read the book of Mormon, read the book of Mormon. Thus saith the Lord, read the book of Mormon. Well, number one, biblically, we know that it's a wicked and perverse generation which seeks after a sign. 
Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Those are the, that's scriptural. That's doctrinal. Satan knows that too. So Satan, when he hears somebody pray out loud, when he hears somebody pray, reveal yourself to me and I will believe in you. He jumps up at the opportunity because he presents himself as an angel of light. He jumps at the opportunity. Oh yeah, I'll reveal and I'll even speak audibly to you. Okay, I don't want you to go to the Bible because the Bible I don't like. But what I do want you to do, I want you to open up the Book of Mormon. And so this person who cried out, I'm not going to believe unless I hear from your voice. Unless I hear your voice, what do I do, Lord? And Satan presents himself as an angel of light and says, read the Book of Mormon. Satan presents himself as an angel of light and says, read the Watchtower stuff. Become a J-dub, Jehovah's Witness. You see, Satan presents himself as an angel of light, but understand that it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. No, we believe in Jesus Christ by faith. Satan will never direct a soul to the Bible. Satan will direct a soul to the Book of Mormon, to Watchtower, to Rome, to worship Mary, but he won't direct a person to the Bible. Satan will gladly direct a person to Catholicism because people can think, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus Christ, but I also believe in Mary. Oh yeah, see, I can believe in Jesus Christ, but I can also pray to Mary. Satan has no problem with that. You see? And if you're Catholic, I tell you this as a former Catholic, and I also say to you, Come out of her, my people. If you're J-Dub, I love you. Come out of her, my people. If you're Mormon, come out of her, my people. Repent and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The real Jesus Christ of the Bible. Not the one of Watchtower. Not the one of uh, the Book of Mormon. Not the one of Vatican II. The one of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. That Jesus Christ. Not the prophesied other Christs. Which will come in the last days. Which will grow in the last days. God is very active. God is very active. In an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Paul continues in verse two. He says, behold, oh, when will these things happen? You know, I have you been in an acceptable time in the day of salvation. When is this time? He says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And that's my invitation to you. If you're listening and you're not a believer, become a believer. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Hit pause and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. You see, God's grace is no small thing. It's a huge deal. And behavior should reflect his grace, the goodness of his grace, the goodness of his mercy, and the greatness of his love. Behavior should reflect these things. 
the Calvinists today, the Reformed theory people. Oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Okay, praise be to the Lord. God is sovereign. Now, live like it. Behave like he is. You see? If you're Calvinist, if you're Reformed, come out of her, my people. And then also listen to our study, Romans 7 through Romans 11. All of it. Romans 7 through Romans 11. You'll understand about predestination. You see? Oh, but I, I follow Spurgeon. I follow Spurgeon. Okay, praise be to the Lord. Spurgeon was a beautiful, beautiful man. Oh, but he was Calvinist. He was Reformed. So I listen to him. Okay, look at his progression. When he started out in his ministry, he was hardcore Calvinist. And towards the end, he started to renounce the things of Calvin. You see? Why? Because he matured. He grew. He understood these things. Wait a second. John Calvin is crazy town. You see? He understood these things. Church history, read Geneva. The atrocities committed against the Anabaptists, against Severitists. You see? Beat them cruelly, he would say. Read the writings of John Calvin. Anathema to the things of Christ. You see? If you're Reformed theory, if you're Calvinist, come out of her, my people. You know what's happening now in Reformed theory? These pastors, in accordance to reform, they call it theology, I call it theory. These pastors, and it's growing. More pastors are joining and they're starting to say, you can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. That's what they're starting to say. You can take the mark of the beast and you'll still be saved. Oh, what's the big deal behind that? Okay. Let's look at what the big deal is behind that. Roman or uh, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation 14, verse nine. Then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. That's why it's a big deal. You say, wait a second. They got to do all of this. They got to worship the beast and his image and receive the mark on his forehead. So receiving the mark is just okay. Okay. I understand the logic behind that, which it's important to understand the meaning of the word Kai. Kai. If anyone worships the beast, Kai, his image, Kai receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. You know what Kai is? It's inclusive. It's to say, if you do one, you do it all. If it, by doing this, you're doing this. There's no exclusion. There's no progression of like, you know, you got to do this. And then here's step one. Here's step two. And this is step three. So because of that, you can do step three. Just don't do step one and two. No. Understand the Greek. Kai. If, any, if anyone worships the beast, Kai, his image. Kai receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. He himself. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. That's what the word of God says. That's what the word of God says. So by what spirit 
do so-called pastors, so-called preachers say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. By what spirit? That's what I want to know. Because the spirit of the Lord never deviates from his word. Never. By what spirit do they say such things? This antichrist spirit that is prophesied. I mean, 2,000 years ago, the, the, the spirit of antichrist was at work. But it's grown. Remember, the serpent in Genesis is a dragon in Revelation. He's been growing. He's been growing. The serpent in, in Genesis is a dragon in Revelation. Through the course of time, he's been growing stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Where are the warriors? Where are the fighters? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn to verse, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Now, verses 3 through 10, Paul speaks of the workers. Verses 3 through 10, the workers. And of these workers, Paul says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, may not be blemished is how it translates, may not be discredited or censured. You see, all ministries of the Lord, all ministries should be established by God and given by God. Ministries should glorify God, all ministries. Turn with me really quick to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. <clears throat> and in Psalm 127, verse 1, we see this. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. You see, I want rest. I want peace. People cry out. I need rest. I need peace. Listen, it only comes from the Lord. And the Lord, he must be the builder. He must be the builder. You see, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. All ministries, all ministries are established of the Lord and by the Lord and for the Lord. All ministries. And according to his word, no deviation. Where you see deviation, ask yourself a question. By what spirit? By what spirit do they, do they teach? By what spirit does he or she say such things? Because there's safety. The spirit of the Lord guides into safety and the Lord establishes his house and he builds his house. He must be the builder. Oh, but the Lord told me this. The Lord told me that. Okay, okay, okay. Are there any, it is also written? I don't know. Okay, well, hit the pause button and read your Bible. I mean, hit the pause button in life. Oh, but the Lord told me to do this. Okay, hit the pause button with that. 
The Lord called me into this drug ministry to help these druggies. Surely the Lord loves these druggies. Absolutely, he loves these druggies. Absolutely. But don't forget that Satan's a fisherman too. Is it the Lord that's directing you there? Is it Satan that's directing, directing you there? Or is it your own evil, wicked passions that are directing you there? Are there any other it is also written? And have you tested the spirits? Tested the spirits? You see, this is spiritual warfare. Oh, but I sought a sign. I sought for a sign. And the Lord told me this. Okay, the Lord also says, it is a wicked and perverse generation which seeks after a sign. So why are you seeking for a sign? Do you not believe? What's wrong with faith? What's so wrong about faith? You see, by faith, look at all the beautiful things that happened. By faith, read, read Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses, by faith, all these beautiful people. By faith, all these things. You see? No, the Lord must establish that. The, the, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. The Lord must do it. His doing. 100%. Now, let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed or blemished or discredited or censured, you see? Now, for the last days, much wisdom is required, not just for the, uh, the, the, the field, but also for the worker. Much wisdom because deadly waters require Godly navigation. And it can be done. It can be done. And the spirit of the Lord directs into safety, the safety of his word. The word of our Lord and the word became flesh. Where you say deviate, doctrinal deviations, that's not a good thing. Those doctrinal deviations need to be quickly aligned with the word of God. Because where they're not corrected, it gets worse and worse. You know, they write their books about crazy love. Then they write their books about uh, crazy unity. And then they enter crazy town. You see, they write their books about crazy love. They enter crazy town. Now they write their books about crazy unity and they enter crazy town. Even worse, deeper, deeper, deeper into crazy town. You see, but we follow the Lord. We don't follow man. We follow the Lord. If we follow man, we better make sure that that man is dead. We better make sure that that guy is, you know, following the Lord himself. Just as Paul says, you know, follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. You see. The Lord has these patterns. They're few and far between. But it is prophesied. It is prophesied. They will be in existence in these last days. You see, when you're a Berean, you'll be able to understand these things. 
and store oil for your lamp. And just as the sons of Issachar understanding the times, what do we do? What do we do? We adhere to the word of God. People want to go off into crazy town. It's sad. It will break your heart. But they make their choice. You see? This division, the wheat and the tares, they must grow together until the end. They must grow together. And where wheat is identified, praise the Lord. When the tares are identified, it's painful because they will be rooted out and burned. You see, then you have brother Jude in the exhortation inspired of the spirit when he says to rescue these people as through fire. You see, I think it's so beautiful how the spirit redirected Jude. Now you look at Jude chapter, uh, chapter one, there's only one chapter, but Jude chapter one. In verse three. He says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I think that's very interesting how very diligently Jude was diligent to write. But then the Holy Spirit says, Jude, Write to them about to contend earnestly for the faith. You see, how the Spirit directs Brother Jude. In verse 22, he says, And on some have, have compassion, making a distinction. You see, you have to discriminate. You have to make the distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the, even the garments defiled by the flesh, you see? Rescuing people as through fire. They get themselves in all kinds of different predicaments. They make their choice. But even still, we have to make these distinctions. Oh, I'm gonna go rescue this person. This person's caught up in drugs. I'm gonna go rescue this person. Whoa, 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 whoa. Satan's a fisherman too. Let me go do it, brother. Oh, I'm going to go rescue this girl. She's a prostitute now. I'm going to go, whoa, 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 whoa. You stay here. Let me take care of that brother. You see, we have to be wise. We have to be wise fishermen and fisherwomen. Fishing for souls. Understand, Satan is very crafty. He knows how to make me fall. He knows how to make you fall. He knows how to make people fall. And he exploits the weaknesses of men. The weaknesses of women. Because he's a, a wise fisherman. What does the Lord tell us through his word? We have to be wise like him. Wise as serpents. And peaceful as doves. Verse 3. A lot of ministries, a lot of pastors, a lot of uh, ministry headships. They need to take a lesson on verse 3. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. 
but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, which translates as endurance, in tribulations, in needs, which is uh, to have distress through necessity, which is like, I mean, if you've ever been like, uh, 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 you don't have any money in the bank and uh, something happened with your paycheck, you know, you, you, the paycheck was uh, done wrong and you got to buy groceries. You know, your family is starving and you have to buy groceries and there's no money. That's what he's talking about in needs. It's, it's distress, but it's through necessity. He says in distresses, in stripes, which is to, 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 to be wounded in stripes, in imprisonments. We've seen these things in the book of Acts. Listen to our study through the book of Acts. You'll see exactly what he's talking about here. In tumults, which is confusion and disorder. You say, wait a second. I thought God was a God of, uh, uh, God was a God of order. He's not a God of confusion. Very true. His messengers bring order. His vessels bring order. His servants bring order. In labors, he says, which is painful labor. It's, it, it's painful laboring, but it's also as weakening. You know, like you watch a, a, a fighter, fighters, you know, like round one, it's like their full strength. Round eight, you know, a boxing match. Round one, they're throwing punches like crazy and they're hard punches. But round eight, if they make it that far, round nine, if they make it that far, they're not fighting like round one. You see, they're getting weaker and weaker. In labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, you see? How, Paul? How do you do all these things, Paul? How do you do all these things, Titus? How do you do all these things, Timothy? How do you do all these things, Phoebe? How do you do all these things, Priscilla? Prissa? How do you do all these things, Achilla? Verse 6. By purity, which is cleanness. Remember? Old Testament, cleanness. Clean. Old Testament. New Testament, clean. Same God. Same spirit. Remember? Verse 3 through verse 10 are the workers. By purity. By knowledge. By long-suffering. By kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. Now, this sincere love, we studied this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's not hypocritical, not presumptuous, and not patronizing, which you see a lot of in the church today. Sincere love. Care for souls. Your desire for a soul to be in the heavenly realm in paradise with our Lord. That type of love. By the word of truth, by the power of God. Now, you hear me make emphasis on, you know, three through 10 are for the workers. Does that mean that, you know, if you're in the field that this is not for you? No, not at all. But to see Paul and his entourage, those with them as an example, as patterns to follow. Purity, for us to walk in purity, for us to have this knowledge, to be have this long-suffering, which is the long-suffering of our Lord too. In applying these things, in doing these things, in being taught and used and gifted by the Spirit. Remember the, our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 
13, 14, 12, 13, and 14. The Spirit does His work inside of your life as you yield to Him and He gives in certain capacities with certain gifts, sometimes multiple gifts. You see? It's to be welcoming of these things. To allow these things in our lives. And that's how a soul transitions from field to worker. It takes time. It's not immediate. It takes time. You cannot be a novice. You have to know scripture. And so he continues in verse 7, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. I love this so much because it translates as by the weapons of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. You see, warriors of the Lord. Remember our study through Numbers just on Wednesday? Numbers 31. Warriors of the Lord. By honor and dishonor. You say, wait a second, what do you mean honor and dishonor? How can it be both? Well, it depends on the people. It depends on the audience. Godliness is dishonorable to those who are perishing. But to those who are alive in Christ, you see, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true. Wait a second. What's the difference? Well, remember, we have to make these distinctions. It all depends on the people. It all depends on the audience. Oh, Paul's a liar. Paul's a liar. Okay, those who are perishing might say such things, you see. But to those who are alive, Paul is beautiful. And remember, it's Christ in him. Not to deify Paul, but to exalt the Lord in him. In verse 9, as unknown and yet well-known. This translates a little bit better in the Greek as, as ignorant yet well yet knowledgeable. It, it translates better that way in the Greek. As ignorant and yet knowledgeable. I mean, for example, knowledgeable, at, like Paul, he would go into the synagogues and reason, using the law, reason with the religious leaders. Reason with them and persuade men because he had the knowledge. But then when he goes into Corinth, he says, I purpose to know nothing. I purposed in my heart to tell nothing, to, 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 to be foolish. Just Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. You see? So as ignorant yet well-known. He says, as dying and behold, we live as chastened and yet not killed. You see, his witness, not just Paul, but those with him, his entourage. A witness that shows the world is at enmity with God. Thus fulfilling what the word of God says. When the world is at enmity with you, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it might lead to some harmful things when the world is at enmity with you. When I say it's a beautiful thing, because let it testify that the word of God is alive in your life, alive in your life. So that, you know, all these things that we read about, it's like, wow, then scripture can be fulfilled, not just in your life for you. There's that too, but for others to see 
others to see and others to hear so that they can believe. You see, he says this in verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. Now, richness in Christ has nothing to do with money at all. Richness in Christ. Nothing to do with money at all. Look at me here. Look at the richness of Paul and his entourage. And look at Paul. He got his head, you know, it was taken away, removed from his body. You see, I don't mean to gloss over that like it's no big thing. It's a, it's a big deal. But Paul himself said to live his Christ to die his gain. As having nothing and yet possessing all things, you see. His economy is different from that of the world, just as the Lord's economy is different from that of the world. It's a different way of thinking. A different way of thinking. Because you have a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. The old man is dead. The old woman is dead. This different understanding of heavenly things because you're being changed, you're being transformed into the image of his son, into the image of Christ. If you yield to him. If you don't yield to him, you're going to be like, you know, a baby Christian forever. A baby Christian is beautiful a, a week in, a month in, two months in. Okay, let's start to mature. Let's mature now. Two months, not good. Two years, 10 years, a baby Christian, that's definitely not good. You see? And so we continue. Now, understand that verse 3 through 10, those are spoken of the workers. Verses 11 through 18 are to the field. Okay? Make these distinctions, worker and field. Don't be discouraged if you're in the field. And you're not a worker. Don't be discouraged. If you're a worker and you're not in the field, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't, don't be, have an elitist mentality. Remember the rugby match that we studied? In the rugby match, the example we've given in, in the book of Romans, in this rugby match, no, it's the 20-year-old who has to humble himself to play rugby with the five-year-old. It's the 20-year-old who has to humble herself to play rugby with the five-year-old. Don't be haughty, but fear. You see, verse 11 through 18 is unto the field. And verse 11, oh, Corinthians, exclamation point. Oh, Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. I love this so much. Because you see, the outpouring of his heart unto Corinth. Oh, Corinthians. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Very interesting what we see here. Remember, the Lord is reactionary. Old Testament, the Lord is reactionary. How many times do you hear us say that all the time the Lord responds to obedience and the Lord responds to disobedience? And the Lord is reactionary. Since the Lord is reactionary, so are his messengers. And he's, you're, you're not restricted by us. He's saying to the church, you're not restricted by us or distressed by us. You're not distressed or restricted by us at all. He says, but you are restricted by your own affections. Translates as emotions. 
your own emotions. Now, emotions are beautiful, but what happens in the aftermath of emotion? You could have the, you know, sadness. Sadness is part of our human experience. What do we do with that sadness? What do we do with that sorrow? Do we go to the crack pipe? Do we go to the bottle? Or do we go to the cross? Do we go to Christ? You see? And I tell you from experience, choose Christ. Choose Christ. What do we do in sorrow? Go to Christ. I mean, there's a lot of things to be sorrowful for. Sorrowful about a lot of things. In sorrow, go to Christ. In anger, go to Christ. In joy, go to Christ. You see? Depression, go to Christ. Anxiety, go to Christ. All of it. It's part of the human experience. These emotions that we have. But in all things, take it to Christ. He will help you. Look at all the depressed people in the Bible. What did they do? Go to God. Look at all the angry people in the Bible. What did they do? Go to God. Well, not all of them. You see people with sadness and, you know, they go to the witch of Endor. You see people with anger and what do they do? You see, they go to Korah. All these examples we have in the Bible, but what do the godly do? They fall on their face before the Lord. Lord, what do I do? You see? You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections, your own emotions. You see? Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5? Commit such a one to Satan. Separate from the leaven. Oh, Paul's so mean. That's so mean-spirited. Look, he's causing division. He's causing division. No. God is reactionary, and his messengers are also reactionary because they're of the same spirit. What's the real cause behind that? Behind that course of action? Committing such a one to Satan and separating from the leaven? What's the real cause behind it? The works of the flesh. Baby Christians in the works of the flesh. Now, what's the real cause behind that? You say, wait a second, it's them. It's their responsibility. Yes, there, they, there's an element of responsibility. You know who else has a responsibility? The pastors, the elders. Those elders will give an account. Those elders, those elders, those pastors and even to, of this age, we'll give an account. So if you're a pastor, if you're an elder, and you have baby Christians, you've been teaching for 30 years, you have people who've been with you for 30 years, and everybody's still a baby, you will give an account. That's not good. And you see the abundance of the works of the flesh. That's not good. Oh, but we have the Spirit. Look, we have 1,000 people in our fellowship and 1,000 people speak in tongues. Everybody has the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're doing it wrong. 
Two people speaking in tongues, at most three. And there must be an interpreter. You see? So at most, four people. At most, maximum, four people. You see? Person number one speaks in tongues. Okay. Is there an interpreter? No interpreter. You know, is there someone to interpret? No. Okay. Person number two speaks in tongues. Is there an interpreter? No. Okay, now we've reached the high point, but we're going to go to the max of three. Person number three speaks in tongues. Is there an interpreter? Yes, we have an interpreter. Thus saith the Lord. You see, four people. Three people max speaking in tongues, one interpreter. Oh, we have a thousand people who speak in tongues. 100% of our fellowship. We have even our three-year-olds speak in tongues. That's not tongues. That's gibberish. That's not tongues. A three-year-old that can't even speak English. I teach from America, but I'm, you know, we speak predominantly English here. A three-year-old can't even speak English. You ever have a conversation with a three-year-old? You have to speak in a very vocabulary, very limited. And you speak a lot with actions. Two-year-olds. You see? Oh, but our three-year-olds speak in tongues. No, they're copying what they see. And what they see, biblically, isn't good. Pastor, you will give an account. Elder, you will give an account. You see? And then you look at the fruit in the fellowship. Oh, a thousand people speaking in tongues. Then you look at the fruit. What do you see? You see the sex, the drugs, the alcohol, everybody's a tax cheat. Everybody does this. It's like, whoa. The defunct of this day and age. Just like we saw in Corinth. You see? Where are, where's the household of Chloe of this day and age? Where? What do I say? Rise up. Rise up. You see? Where are the Pauls of this day and age? Where are the Timothys, the Titus of this day and age? Rise up. Count the cost because rising up. The things of the world are at enmity enmity with the things of God. Paul says in verse 12, you're not restricted by us. There's no restriction whatsoever. But you're restricted by your own affections. It's self-inflicted. You have done this yourself. You've brought this upon yourself. Oh, Paul, you're so mean. You're so mean. You see, that's emotion. We're not to be led by emotion. But emotion can lead us to our knees. That's beautiful. Instead of being led by emotion, let emotion lead you to your knees. And I tell you this from experience. And whatever it is, joy, anger, sadness, sorrow, depression, anxiety, all these things, instead of being led by those things, let those emotions lead you to your knees as you fall on your face before the Lord. You see? Now we look at verse 13. Now in return for the same, I speak as to children. Translate says, produce children. Other translations say, I speak as to my children, you see. A fatherly 
fatherly figure we see in Paul. Remember when in, 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 in 1 Corinthians, how he says, you know what? You have all these teachers, but yet you're like my kids. And he says, like, you know, like I gave birth to you. He's male. He's a guy. And he says, it's like I gave birth to you guys. Like you passed through my birth canal. That's, that's how much he treasures the saints. I speak as to my children. I speak as to children. Other translations say my children as produced children. You also be open. See, he says, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. And he's saying, you also be open. We do it like this. You also be open. We're open. You be open. And he says this in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You see, the world is the world. But remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where, you know, leaven is not good. You have to examine the fruit. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Well, that's speaking of the world. Well, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, I didn't mean with the people of the world because if I meant the world, you'd have to get on a spaceship. I'm paraphrasing, but he says you'd have to get on a spaceship and launch to another planet and not even be here because the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. He's speaking about the church. What do you mean about unbelievers in the church? Is it possible to be in the church and yet be unbelieving? Absolutely. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. I reference it quite a bit and I'm going to reference it again. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. Oh, but this feels good. The sex feels good. Oh, but the drugs feels good. This, this is the, the best high, the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. The finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. It feels so good. Oh, I drink this bottle and it numbs the pain. It takes away all my sorrow. It feels so good. You're being hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Your heart is growing harder and harder and harder and harder. You see? That's where a person, a believer, can become unbelieving. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Oh, but once saved, always saved. Once saved. My pastor told me, once saved, always saved. I did the altar call when I was 10 years old and I'm 30 years old. I do my drugs, I do my alcohol, and I'm good to go. My pastor told me I'm okay. Get a new pastor. Once saved, always saved is unbiblical. Look at Luke chapter 8 verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while. And in time of temptation, fall away. The Lord. Red letters. I meant the word became flesh, but these are straight up red letters. Falling away. They believe for a while. You did the altar call when you were 10 years old. Praise be to the Lord. You're 30 years old today. Repent. Repent. Be a people of the circumcision. Not a hard heart, a soft heart. Circumcised of the heart. You see? 
Christianity, faith in Jesus Christ is the only means by which a female can have circumcision and be circumcised. I don't care if you're male or female, be ye circumcised. You see, of heart. Believe in Jesus Christ. And we continue our study through 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Do not be, in verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? You see? These are things that the fruit reveals. Someone says, oh, they speak Christianese. Oh, praise the Lord. God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. God bless you, sister. Let's hang out. Let's fellowship together. Innocently, you're like, okay, wow. This guy's my brother. This lady's my sister. Let's hang out. You hang out. All of a sudden, you see, you notice certain things. They talk a certain way. Every other word that comes out of his or her mouth is a, a swear word, a cuss word. And you're thinking, wait a second. Okay, this, may, may, maybe he's just a baby Christian. Maybe she's just a baby Christian. You kind of, you're, you're, you, you extend them some grace and you, mercy. Maybe they're just a baby Christian. Okay. Well, you know, and then you say, well, you know, I, I used to cuss like that too, but I don't do that anymore. It's, it's not really a good thing. And you know, you, you shouldn't do that, brother. You shouldn't do that, sister. It's not good. It's not, it doesn't honor the Lord. The outpouring of her heart. What is it? You know, I'm going to say all these cuss words and then I'm going to sing praises to the Lord. I'm going to say all these cuss words and I'm going to teach the word. I'm going to say all these cuss words and I'm going to, you know, I read the Bible. By the same tongue, I don't want to have a divided tongue. I don't want to have a forked tongue because somebody else speaks with a forked tongue. And that's evil, it's demonic. I don't want that. So, brother, sister, you know, don't drop the F-bomb. Don't be cussing, don't be cussing like that. <gasps> don't you judge lest you be judged. How dare you say that to me? You see, that's what happens. Or that person might say, you know what? You're right. And that's just the cuss words. What if some of you are talking with somebody and say, oh, yeah, you know what? I had a crazy time last night. I'm getting off of, you know, I was a little high yesterday and I'm getting off it today. And man, I was so baked and whew, we got drunk. We did all these things. And man, I don't even know what happened. I woke up with this lady. I woke up with this guy. I woke up and I was like, I don't even know what happened. And you're just like, oh my goodness. This guy was speaking Christianese to me. This lady was speaking Christianese. I thought it was a brother. I thought it was a sister. Now, when that happens, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Division. Just... Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. You say, wait a second, but this guy's a believer. This lady's a believer. Look at the fruit. This guy says God is sovereign. God is sovereign. This lady says God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Do they behave like it? Do they behave like he's sovereign? That's what it, it trips me out so much because you know, people say, oh, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And I'm not mocking his sovereignty. He is indeed sovereign. But the very ones who say God is sovereign, do they live like it? Does the fruit of their lives prove it? 
Does the fruit of their lives show it? You see? Does it exemplify these things? Just like the witness that we see in these workers in verses 3 through 10. Just like this witness reveals this enmity with the world. You have to look at the fruit. You have to examine the fruit. Doctrine is a big one. You can say, wow, you know, there's peace in this guy's home, but he's also Buddhist. You see, <laughs> this guy has, you know, he's been, he's had a, a good marriage. This lady, they've had a good marriage for, you know, 50 years, but you know, uh, they're Catholic. The fruit that you examine much, much must match the doctrine that you read from scripture, not the doctrine that you read in crazy love and, you know, crazy unity, because that's crazy town. Not that doctrine. I'm talking about biblical doctrine. Doctrine from the word of God and the word became flesh. Not the doctrine that you read from Rome or the doctrine that is heading towards Rome. The doctrine of the word of God. Not the doctrine that is entering into lawlessness as prophesied. Not his doctrine that leads, that yields to the mother of harlots, which is prophesied but the doctrine of the word of God. And the word became flesh, the doctrine of Christ, the real Christ, not the false Christ that are prophesied to come and will grow, that are propagated by the false teachers and false prophets, which are prophesied to come. You see, minefields abound, minefields everywhere, but yet, who will navigate through the minefields? And what communion? This translates as koinonia. Koinonia in the Greek, it is partnership. It is intercourse. It's not sexual intercourse. It's a spiritual intercourse. It's a social intercourse. Koinonia, it's intercourse. That's the fellowship of the saints. It's deep oneness among the saints, the ecclesia, the church body, intercourse, not sexual. If I say intercourse and your mind goes off into crazy town, repent because you have to, your mind needs to be obedient unto Christ, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse five. Whatever things are true, noble, just, lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When I say intercourse, if your mind turns sexual, repent. This koinonia, it's intercourse, but it is intimacy. The church body, oneness. That's communion that is being spoken of here in verse 14. And what communion, what koinonia has light with darkness? You see, in order for us to understand these things and live these things out, we have to be Examiners of fruit. In verse 15, and what accord or agreement has Christ with Belial, another name for Satan? Wickedness. What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part or what portion or what share has a believer with an unbeliever? Whoa. These are hardcore questions. And what agreement or to be in company with what agreement has the temple of God with idols, 
We see this a lot in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. And we're going to see it when idols are brought into the camp, when idols are brought into the tabernacle, when idols are brought into the temple. And remember, God is reactionary. We're going to see how the Lord responds. You see Israel start to lose her battles. You see Israel be overtaken. You see the ark of the Lord, which is in the Holy of Holies, being taken away. You see Israel start to lose. What do you see in the lives of Christians today? They're being overtaken in their battles. Overtaken in battles. They're losing fights. Why? Disobedience. You see? Disobedience. Point blank. Disobedience. Paul says this. For you are the temple of the living God, you see? When we read these passages in the Old Testament about keeping the tabernacle holy, remember, nothing mangy. These offerings and sacrifices, nothing mangy. What about your offering and sacrifice to the Lord? You know, people say, oh, you know what? I'm going to pray and fast before I go to the, 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 the casino. I'm going to pray and fast before I buy lottery tickets. I'm going to pray and fast as, Lord, if you let me win a million dollars, if you let me win the jackpot of $10 million, I'll give you not just 10%. Lord, I'll give you 30%. They even like to throw in a little bit of Christianese in there to say, you know, since you rose on the third day, I'll give you 30%, not just 10%. That's a mangy offering. That's a disgusting offering. And you're going to offer that to the Lord? You see? Nothing mangy. How many times do you hear us say that through the Old Testament? Nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy, nothing mangy. For such a time as this. As it helps us in our walks with the Lord. Not just what, I mean, what we offer to the Lord of, you know, of our uh, offerings. But what about when the offering is you? A burnt offering, a drink offering. Nothing mangy. Be clean. Now, if you're not a believer and you hear me say nothing mangy, you might think, okay, let me get my life fixed up and, and then I'll do that. No, 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 no. You commit your life to Jesus Christ because he cleans his own fish. He'll clean you. And once, once you're clean... Stay clean. Nothing mangy. Stay clean. And we're in these earth suits. You're going to get dirty. But take a shower. A holy shower. I mean, I don't want to get graphic or anything, but what if you never took a bath? What if you never took a shower? You know how nasty you'd get after just one day? Two days? Three days? The most I've ever gone without a shower, without bathing, is two months. Two months and, and the group of guys that I was with. Two months, no bathing. And oh my goodness, whew, that was some serious funk. But we were doing something, we were doing things. But do you know how nasty you're going to be without a shower? I'm speaking very carnally. Very in accordance to the flesh. But the same thing applies with our walk with Christ. To be clean. 
cleansed before the Lord and cleansed by the Lord, of the Lord and for the Lord. You are the temple of the living God. All these things. Remember the blueprints in our study at the end of Exodus? When the Lord was giving Moses the blueprints for the tabernacle? Everything so intricate. Everything so clean. Everything so pure. And then Moses comes down from the mountain with his assistant Joshua. And what does he see? The golden calf. Widespread abomination. It's the Lord who cleansed the camp. He uses vessels of the Lord. But the Lord cleansed the camp. You see? And then the construction of the tabernacle. Let the Lord clean your life. And then let him build the tabernacle in your life. Because you are the temple of the living God. Now, you say 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, Paul says, commit such a one to Satan. When leaven is identified, separate from leaven. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, don't be unequally yoked. So what's the difference? You make this differentiation between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Wow, Paul says, commit such a one to Satan. This is leaven. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't even eat with such a person that is carnal like this. Paul says that, but in here he just says, don't be unequally yoked. Some might say, oh, I, I like Paul in 2 Corinthians. He's nicer. He's nicer because in 1 Corinthians, he says, commit such a one to Satan. But then here he just says, don't be unequally yoked. Paul is nicer in 2 Corinthians. I like this Paul better. Listen, it's the same vessel, Paul. It's also the same church, Corinth. You know what the difference is? Immaturity. 2 Corinthians, he's speaking to a remnant. And those who've been brought, who were identified as leaven, who have repented, and they're brought back into the camp. He's speaking to a more mature church. Immaturity and or defunct leadership is directly proportionate to exhortation or chastisement. You see? Because Paul doesn't say in his second letter, he doesn't say, commit such a one to Satan. He doesn't say, hey, uh, separate from the leaven. He doesn't say that. But what he does say is more of a reminder. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? You are the temple of the living God. That's what he says. A little reminder. Hey, Corinth, don't be like how you used to be. Because under the leadership of those, you guys were baby Christians, but under the leadership of the defunct, the defunct elders, the defunct pastors, the works of the flesh got so bad that, you know, the spirit of the Lord directed, okay, commit such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And the spirit of the Lord also directed, separate from the leaven. It's a little bit more hardcore that, the immaturity of the church, the immaturity of the believers, the babiness, the babiness of the believers under the leadership of defunct pastors and defunct elders caused Paul to be more hardcore. Remember, the Lord is reactionary and so too are his vessels, so too are his messengers. 
You could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, Paul is so mean. Look, he's so mean-spirited. I like the 2 Corinthians Paul better. Because he just says, don't be unequally yoked. It's the same vessel. Same Lord, same spirit. It's the same. You know what's different? More mature in 2 Corinthians. Look at a parent with a little baby. Little little baby learning to walk. The little baby starts to walk and then all of a sudden tries to put his finger in the outlet. You might, you know, smack the hand. Hey, don't do that. And the baby's going to start crying. Oh, you're so mean. You're so mean. You're so mean. How dare you smack my hand? You see? But then the child, a year later, two years later, you just say, hey, hey, kid or son, daughter, baby girl, don't put your finger in the socket. You don't smack the hand anymore because the child has learned. You see, the child has matured. The child was a baby before, and now he or she is less of a baby as he or she moves on to perfection. But if you have a three-year-old who tries to put the finger in the socket, you're going to smack the hand. If you have a 10-year-old who tries to put the finger in the socket, you know, smack the child's hand and also smack yourself because you're a defunct parent. You see? Defunctness abounds. That's... If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. That's what Paul says. The word of the Lord. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You... We are the temple of the living God. And the living God, the living God. Not the God reserved in the history books. The God that was in the history books. And the God that is in the history books. And the God that is to come. Very present. Very present. The living God. Yes, the passages of scripture, we can look at history and read church. I mean, like we read history on Wednesdays. We study history on Wednesdays. But it's the same living God. The same living God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. You know what changes? Us. Us. It's the deceitfulness of sin. When we read these passages about the cleanliness of the tabernacle, and when the tabernacle is built, the cleanliness of the, of the, 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 the not just the tabernacle, but when the temple is actually built. When we read the passages about the cleanliness, think of your own life. Think of your own temple, your mind being clean, your heart being clean. Your body being clean, your speech being clean. Now, when I say your body being clean, I'm not Seventh-day Adventist, which is precursory to other falls. That's legalism. And precursory to other falls, which led into, for example, the Branch Davidians. You see, I'm not talking about cleanliness like Seventh-day Adventist type. I'm talking about cleanliness, what the Lord regards as clean and unclean. As new covenant believers, not as going back to the law, but as new covenant believers. 
in verse 16, as God has said. Now, Paul quotes Ezekiel, the same spirit that that uh, inspired Ezekiel is the same spirit that is inspires Paul. He says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. You see, the Lord is inside and all around. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall be my people. Very holy. Very, very holy. Therefore, now he quotes Isaiah, the same spirit. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, which is to separate, to sever, to cut off, to slice off, and to break off. That's this separation. Consecration requires separation. Consecration requires separation. Be ye separate. Be ye consecrated. Be ye circumcised. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. You see? Do not touch what is unclean. What do Christians do today? Taking advantage of God's grace. Oh yeah, I'm going to touch what is unclean. I'm going to go to the strip club and touch what is unclean. I'm going to go get the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico, the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico, and I'm going to touch what is unclean. Oh, it's natural. God God created this, this weed. God created this marijuana. God created the ayahuasca. It's all natural. God made it. So therefore, it is excusable. Is it really? You say it's excusable without understanding, oh man, that you are without excuse. Repent, 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 repent. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. You see, now now he quotes Nathan, the prophet Nathan, he quotes in verse 18, under the same spirit, I will be a father to you. I will be a father to you. The, the creator the creator of all things, all things, the, the earth, the, the stars, the heavenlies, the creator of all things says, I will be a father to you. You know what trips me out? The religious leaders, when Jesus in his earthly ministry, they got mad at him because he's, he, he referred to God as father. They got mad at him. They blasphemy, they tore their shirts, blasphemy, blasphemy. He puts himself equal with his God by equal with God by calling him father. But they forget the prophets in the Old Testament. They forget the church, not the church fathers, but they forget the fathers. The writings of old. They forget. They forgot. Oh, he calls God Father, and then, you know, blasphemy, they tear their shirt, crucify him, we got to kill him. But they forget the prophets, the prophets of old. And the prophets of old testify with Paul and unto you this day. I will be a father to you, he says, the creator of all things. I will be a father to you. Do you see how deep that is? What kind of love is this? 
What kind of love? Says, I will take your sin and remove it from you and place it on my son. And my son, my only begotten son, is the sacrifice for you to atone for your sin. Life for life, blood for blood. My son will atone for your sin. Why? Because I love you. And I want to be with you. I want oneness with you. I want you with me. What in the world kind of love is that? It's not of this world. It's God's love for you. God's love for you. Now, since we know that that is God's love, how are we to respond to that? You see? If we're a believer, if you're a believer, obey him. If you're not a believer, receive him. You see? Because he loves you. And you shall be my sons and daughters. You see? Says the Lord Almighty. (laughs) The Lord Almighty. I will be a father to you, he says. Remember, this is a little reminder for the restored church, the restored church of Corinth. You see, the Corinthian church speaking to a remnant. Remember the division, the difference between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. You might say, well, I like 2 Corinthians, Paul, because he's not as hardcore as 1 Corinthians. He's more palatable to my flesh. Well, you cannot... Continue in 2 Corinthians without having the understanding of 1 Corinthians. Because what if you're a drunkard? What if you're sexually immoral? What if your your youth in Christ, your lack, lack of understanding, lack of correction, lack of chastisement, you're involved with drugs and alcohol and all these things. Can you really biblically proclaim, I am crucified with Christ, if that is the case? You cannot. And I've been there before. 20-some years ago, I've been there before. Playing games with the Lord, being lukewarm in my walk with Christ. Biblically, I could not proclaim, I am crucified with Christ. Because I wasn't even crucified. I wasn't even carrying my cross. I tell you these things from experience. I don't tell you these things like, look, this is how you got to live your life. You do this and I do this. No, we do this. We walk with Christ. You see, if you don't have understanding, well, let us walk together and let us get understanding because we're going to paradise. Run away to paradise. This world is not our home. This world is at enmity with God. And when you are his, the world will be at enmity with you. Thus fulfilling the words of our Lord. Every jot, every tittle. Showing himself true. Revealing himself to you. You see? 
Blessed are those who have believed and not yet seen. Those are his words. I'm just the messenger. One day, one beautiful and glorious day, we will see him. We will behold him. But not yet. Not yet. On this side of eternity, we endure the times. We're going to end our study here and pick up next week, Lord willing, in chapter 7. Beautiful people of the way. God bless you. I love you.